Hello, welcome to this podcast again. Uh, my name is Marieke de Witte. I'm a clinical psychologist, sexologist working here at Maastricht University. I'm doing a lot of research on sexuality. I also teach on sexuality. And today, obviously, we're going to talk about sexuality again. And we're going to continue talking about sexual diversity. And we, we live in a society that is marked by heteronormativity. Uh, we are deeply ingrained by this idea that a heterosexual relationship between two persons is the norm. That works. And heteronormativity also includes an aspect of gender binary. Uh, we live in a binary world. We make this distinction between male and female features, men and women. And we want to kind of nuance this. We want to discuss more diversity in gender identity, transgenderism, non-binary and so on. Now, because I'm not an expert in this, I have invited two very interesting guests who are experts. One is an expert uh, by research and the other one is an expert by experience. So maybe, first of all, welcome to be here. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you. And, Thanks for having um, me. Maybe you can introduce yourself. I know you're Matilda, so tell me more. Sure. Yeah, so I'm Matilda Kennis. Um, I work as a PhD candidate here at Maastricht University at the Faculty of Psychology and Neuroscience. And my research is indeed about transgender people. Uh, among other things, we look into sexual well-being, but I'm also sitting here as an ally for, uh, for the queer community. Yeah. Okay, great, welcome. And yeah, my name is Bela, Bela Bellissima. I was born and raised in Berlin, in Germany, and moved to Maastricht three years ago to study my bachelor. And now I'm specializing in gender and diversity studies. And yes, I have my own podcast that I started at the beginning of this year called Queering the Perspective, in which I talk about different queer topics from a non-binary perspective, because yeah, I also identify as non-binary. <laughs> okay, great. Well, we have a lot of expertise here on the table, so I guess we can uh, have a nice conversation conversation on this topic, right? Yeah. So um, maybe let's first start. Maybe Matilda, you can tell us wh what is this transgenderism? How can we define it? How should we understand it? Yeah, um, usually like if you if you ask a scientist, what does it mean transgender? Then they'll give you a dry answer like um, you're transgender if you're sex assigned at birth. So you're born, people say it's a girl, it's a boy. If this is incongruent with your gender identity. So if you feel like the, the, the role, the identity that you have, that there's a mismatch with uh, the role that you were assigned. Mm -hmm. So that's very bam bam. Um, but actually, what, what really means to be transgender is if you identify as such, because this incongruence, not for everyone, uh, translates into a feeling of, of, yes, I'm transgender. For some people, they, they don't want to adhere to this term. And then also, we cannot consider them as such. But basically, okay. that's uh, that's the thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, when we think about transgender, how can we fit the binary thinking and the non-binary thinking in, in this uh, yeah. group? Yeah. So. Um, I think very long when it came to the transgender topic, our society has thought, okay, you fit one box or you fit the other. So if you're male sex mm -hmm. assigned at birth, for instance, and that doesn't suit you, then you must uh, be a, a trans woman. So you have a female gender identity despite your uh, uh, male sex assigned at birth. So you go from one box to the other. That's also what we saw a lot in treatment. That's also something we still see a lot in movies and so on, I think. Um, but more and more, there's becoming recognition uh, for people who don't necessarily want to switch to yet another box. Uh, mm -hmm. Often those people um, adhere to more uh, non-binary uh, identity, but there's also other terms like pangender, agender, apora gender, gender queer. Uh, there's actually a whole dictionary yeah, 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 yeah. Um, of identities that people can have. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe Bella, can you tell me how, how do you see uh, transgender, binary, non-binary? How do you position yourself in this spectrum? Yeah, I think it is very important to make this distinction because it's very much not the same, even though it all falls under the trans umbrella. But I think there is a very clear distinction between binary trans people and non-binary mm -hmm. trans people. Mm -hmm. And I myself identifying more with the non-binary spectrum can definitely say that sometimes it is also regarded less as an as a valid identity because mm -hmm. you don't you are perceived to still be in a transition phase. You're still perceived to go towards something yeah, else. Yeah. Whereas I'm saying I'm perfect wherever I am. Yeah. And I'm also not in the middle, you know, it's mm -hmm. not like I'm some third option that is like man, woman and other because yeah, I have yeah. my very own yeah. gender identity and I'm very proud of that. And yeah, so I think, yeah, it's important also through 
non-binary existences to question the gender binary as a construct because this is not something that is natural in a sense there's many um, there's many examples throughout history of different cultures that people have lived beyond the gender binary or that the gender binary didn't even exist at all mm -hmm. and yeah in my understanding or in the way that I learned about it also from my sociological perspective It is very much a white colonial construct that was yeah. also imposed on many indigenous nations and first nations um, in order to keep them controlled and also to categorize them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what we often have. We have this male and female features. When you think about it, I always think about what well, we are humans. Why do we make this yeah. distinction between a male and a female characteristic? Because it's a human characteristic. But we are so much ingrained by this idea. It's a cultural thing. So, um, yeah, I think this is really interesting to reflect on because I always, uh, what I think is interesting is, is uh, people with a disorder in sexual development who are born with, uh, babies who are born with both male and, and female features I always find this very interesting to reflect on because when these babies are born, it used to be that parents need to make a choice. You need to make a choice. Are you going yep. to raise this child as male or female? Uh, we do need to do an operation. Are we going to choose the male or female? And at that point, parents decided. Now there's a trend towards, okay, we just let we try to raise the child as gender neutral as possible. And then yeah. uh, we can see with which gender identity this, this child will identify, which toys do yep. they prefer and so on. But then it comes down to the question, can we do this? Can we raise children? children gender neutral in this society it's yeah we are so much categorizing everything I think it's yeah, an interesting yeah. question absolutely yeah I, I don't think there is such a thing as uh, raising a kid gender neutral uh, in our society um, you, you you see I especially like uh, in, in the more left highly educated environments people really try to do this uh, they don't want to impose stereotypes on their kids so they're going for gender neutral parenting uh, instead of pink and blue and Barbies and Lego no it's all all options for every kid um, and then what, what I find very interesting, what you then sometimes see um, is, okay, these, these kids grow up and they do, after a while, lean into a, the gender conform behavior uh, that's congruent with their sex assigned at birth. And then what you often see in parents is that they go like, yeah, see, we tried, we did gender neutral parenting, but yet my daughter wants to play with Barbies and yet my son wants to be a pirate. So it has to be biology, right? If I tried as a parent, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, which I think is a, it's a little bit, uh, yeah, it's, it's of, of course well-intended, but also a bit ignorant because it's not that you're the only social influence uh, on your kid as a parent. Take them to a toy store and they see on the boxes which yeah, kids are yeah, supposed to play with. Yeah, you see all the boys yeah, on, yeah. On yeah. playing yeah, with it, the it's, cars. It's exactly. so much part of our society. So the question remains, can we ever change this? How, how do we change this? How can we evolve towards a more gender inclusive uh, non-binary world if mm. it's so much part of our culture yeah i think personally i i'm not the biggest fan of the term gender neutral because it would imply that you don't really have a gender which i don't find to be true i think everyone has their own gender in a way and there's mm an infinite amount of options rather than two or no options. So I think what we can aim for is to indeed embrace a more, embrace more, um, to embrace more options, to yeah. embrace more possibilities and to, pr to embrace non-conventional options. So I think that starts with the depiction in children's books, in children's movies, yeah, exactly. and also the way that parents, for example, plan a kid's birthday or who is invited to the birthday party. Mm -hmm. Like there's many elements where I think you can have a more gender expansive or gender inclusive idea and mindset about it. So mm -hmm. I think that's the first start, you know, to, to from a very early age, just maybe don't put that much emphasis on yeah. gender as a category. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. really putting gender on a spectrum, on a continuum. I think that's the most important that you can sort yeah. of have yeah. different yeah. steps yeah. and, and overall, different positions. Make it less salient because it's so salient yeah. now. With every letter that I get, I'm addressed as a miss. Like if, if I have to buy a concert ticket, I have to indicate what, what, my, what my sex is also. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Why? Why? I'm just, why I'm do just we coming need to that? your venue, like, listening to music. Why do you need to why know? Why does it this? matter? Uh, 
if you're if if people are being addressed it's ladies and gentlemen also kids in the classroom hey boys and girls like every time yeah. um that this is so explicitly addressed that hey there are two groups here um mm. this confirms to your brain that this is an important yeah. category and i think this is yeah. also something that we need to yeah i think it's bit. important indeed uh, that this idea of gender but at the same time we i think it just also comes from the idea that the, biologically there are differences i mean you have yeah. male features and female features when we think about it from a very biological mm -hmm. way so in a way this categorizing will always be part the question is of course do you need this huh. categorizing to grow up in society to live in our society yeah. that's the yeah, question yeah. Eh? but we we cannot ignore the fact that there are biological differences absolutely yeah, and i don't think i don't think many activists are D denying this as such but uh, often the differences are, are, are bigger or are, are smaller than we think there's also a lot of biological uh, variability um, that doesn't fit in this idea of, of a strict uh, dichotomy um, yeah and then on the other hand there's also a lot of biological variability in eye color but we don't treat people differently mm. because they have blue eyes exactly i mean there there is this interest there is studies about this that there's actually more differences within genders than between the genders so there is more like yeah, if exactly. we look about yeah. physical exactly. features exactly. if you look at like biology anatomy there is more differences within the category man exactly. for example rather than like one man and one woman yeah. and i also think what is very important that you are not only assigned a sex at birth but you're also assigned a gender at birth yeah. because you have the sex and the gender that is yeah, maybe we, maybe conflated. we should actually i don't know whether it's it's clear enough for the listeners mm -hmm. we are talking about sex and gender and gender roles and gender identity maybe maybe i don't know who wants to explain it to our listeners like what are all these differences these terms we are using yeah i mean i can start and then maybe you can you can add something from your perspective but how i understand it is that you are assigned a sex at birth which is based on um, chromosomes anatomy and so on and so forth um, but then for me what is even more important is then this sex is leading you to one gender so when you're assigned male at birth you're going to socialize as a man so that's the difference and but it's very much in that sense it's very much the same it is It is just basically like a script that is given to you yeah. of, of like how you When you're you born behave. with these characteristics, then you have to act this exactly. way. Exactly. Yeah. The, these behaviors, these mannerisms, these character traits you need to inherit because this is how you're going to be perform this role of the gender that was given to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those, those are a couple of things that you touch upon. There's the sex that's often considered more biological. There's a lot you can uh, debate about that, but that's another discussion. The gender identity is, is basically what's in your head. Uh, what do you feel like? But with that comes a gender role and comes gender expression. And this is then again something a bit more on the outside. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's really interesting to make this distinction because you could say then in a way that 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 sex is inherent, it's it's biologically determined, and that then gender is that then a choice or can that also be something inherent that it that's a good discussion But, uh, yeah. in a way because is it that your gender is just something you learn you socialize towards or is it also something mm -hmm. that is part of yeah i who think this are? is a very very interesting question because i feel when when we talk about morality like you have people who, who think transgender uh, you know it's all hype but they often uh, pull pull this card like okay no yeah, biology is real it's natural and the other science. thing yeah, <laughs> yeah it's science and the other thing is a choice And yeah, I think there's there's two problems here, like this distinction between what is biology and, and what is your choice. It's it's not so clear cut, like um, as far as we know right now, uh, we're, we're basically just brains doing their thing, right? So if, if your gender identity is somewhere in your brain, then how is that not natural? Uh, where, where do you draw mm -hmm. this line between exactly. this was natural or not? So you can already not draw that line. And then if you cannot draw it, then it's even more problematic to assign Uh, morality to either side mm -hmm. to say one side is good and one is bad like why why would the other be bad there's mm -hmm. actually no good explanation mm -hmm. for that and i mean there are also intersex people there are also yeah. people that are born with characteristics of both binary sexes and um as you mentioned also yeah. before that's also actually much more prominent than we think like there are statistics i think that estimate that every 200th person is born intersex mm -hmm. and then of course you have sometimes like a sex sex reassignment or not like sex affirming surgery yeah. so then you are born intersex but then labeled yeah. as a binary gender or a binary sex 
but you can also see it now more popularized the topic of intersex mm -hmm. and the the importance of also accepting sexual deviant not deviance sexual sexual diversity yeah so for example you have this very um, famous case of Kester Semania mm -hmm. you know the exactly, yeah. the runner in South Africa who just has a naturally a high very high level of um, testosterone and yeah and then it's it becomes a huge yeah. problem yeah but and but that is science you know that is nature that is like mm -hmm. yeah exactly that is nothing has been altered yeah. what what now is being suggested that she needs to decrease her level of testosterone in order to be natural yeah. so then it's Because a question like it's not fair where yeah. is is science really objective in exactly. that sense yeah, exactly. and does science make sense when we talk about yeah. gender yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. but if we think about intersex and DLZ, then would you would you say then why do people why can't they be raised uh, by non-binary for example that they just keep both features and that you just do not necessarily need to define why do you have to choose a category is that then the solution would that be possible yeah i think in those cases yes and um giving also the the child of course the option at some point to associate themselves to one um gender if they want to yeah it doesn't mean that they are born non-binary now they need to stay forever non-binary yeah. but that's also in general with every non-binary person it can also be that yeah. You go through a process and a year later you realize, actually, I feel more like a man or I feel more like a woman. Yeah. So I think it's it's not a fixed category. So no. I think it's a good it's a good starting point indeed yeah. to to raise someone in the sense of like, yeah, you know, like it's up to you, you yeah. know, like you can decide that like right now you have been given all of the opportunities it's like it's yeah if you think about it that way it's it's a it's a gift it's also nicer. in a sense yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah, then exactly, you can really yeah. choose what fits for me yeah but it's a gift but it, i can imagine it can also be a curse because yeah. from outside people will want you to fit a box yeah. they will want yeah. to know which way you have to go right yeah, yeah people, i was very I, utopian yeah, thinking yeah, that's still <laughs> if you if, if if you think in our society we still have this idea well if you're heterosexual and cisgender it's a privilege i mean then you mm -hmm. have you're okay in yeah, it is a privilege, yeah. I mean, but yeah, whenever you deviate from that norm, yeah, then you're like, yeah, yeah awkward and strange yeah. and you don't fit in. And, and that has an impact, of course. Yeah, and yeah. I think that is a very interesting point because you, of course, have structural privileges, structural advantages when you are a cis person that's also heteronormative. But at the same time, I also always like to rewrite the narrative and turn it around and to say, if you are not cis and if you're not heteronormative, you have a lot of options, yeah, actually. True. You can... It's not a restriction. It's exactly. Actually, it can yeah. be a gift, as I said also before. It Then it just depends on the, so the social environment that you live in, that you grow up in, if that environment facilitates a gender diverse and gender euphoric subjective experience and if that's the case then that's great but of course in a lot of times you do face structural inequalities yeah. when you're living beyond the binary when you don't live in heteronormative mm -hmm. frameworks so of course it's a bit of a double-edged sword but I always like to think about it that way rather than victimizing. Yeah, I understand. It's another people. way of approaching it. It's a more positive approach. And I yeah. really like that idea. Mm -hmm. But but now think about the group of people who say, well, I'm I'm born as a man. I feel more my gender is, is, is female and I want to I want to do something about it. I don't feel OK with it. I want to transition. How 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 do yeah, we can we call it treatment? I don't it's not really treatment and become then it feels yeah. that if it is a disorder and a, and a disease. Yeah, 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 it's tricky. It's tricky. You, you indeed you don't want to. Um, yeah. OK, so back to the start. So basically there is a psychiatric condition. There is a big book uh, called the DSM where all kind of psychiatric diseases uh, are listed and gender dysphoria is one of them. And there's a checklist uh, that a patient then has to um, yeah, take all the boxes and they have gender dysphoria. Uh, and if they do so, they can indeed get treatment. It's medical. It's, it's a medical thing um, at a hospital including hormones and uh, surgery. So the, the context, the framing, uh, it's often very medical and, and this smells like uh, uh, disease and disorder. 
Um, but there's there's a lot of tension and things are changing a lot. Um, so for instance, now the, the, the official diagnosis is gender uh, dysphoria. A couple of years ago, it was still uh, gender incongruent disorder. No, gender, gender identity, identity disorder. disorder yeah. Exactly. Yeah, up until 2017. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Um, the, the, in ICD, it has recently been moved out of the, the, the psychiatric disorders into more sexual health problems, which is also a, a category mm. that's not necessarily the best one, but already a little bit stigmatized. And there's there's this big tension because indeed, for many people, uh, they they don't feel like they're sick. They just say, "Hey, this is my gender identity. I want to be able to 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 play this role in society. Uh, help me feel like myself." Yeah. Um, it's not it's, it's not a disorder. Disorder can be very stigmatizing. On the other hand, uh, the, the, the the medical care that you can get can be very expensive, and it helps to have a well, disorder yeah, I label. Think, yeah, if you have a disorder label, it facilitates the access to healthcare. It, it shouldn't necessarily, because you can, for instance, also get uh, your healthcare insured for for pregnancy, which is not a yeah. disorder. So yeah, it's also true. a bit of thing uh, in in the system that uh, that could change, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. Um, but but yeah, there's this big tension, and I hear from I've heard some transgender people say. I have gender dysphoria and it is mm. an illness and I'll have to carry it with me all my life despite uh, going through a physical change and so on. But I also hear uh, transgender people saying that, no, this, I, I, I don't consider this a disease. I find it stigmatizing. It really yeah. depends yeah, on yeah, the context yeah. on whom you ask. And I think you should really... It also yeah. it depends indeed what the, the, the nature of the gender dysphoria actually yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. But exactly. I was also wondering, because you know we're talking about treatment and we're talking about gender affirming uh, surgery. You want to yeah. uh, affirm, uh, yeah. make sure that your your body matches how you feel but then there's always this question like is this a personal choice or is that a, a societal yeah. pressure because you could also i i once heard a, a trans man saying like you know i'm born as a woman but i feel like a man and now i have to change my body because i the society will not accept me as a mm -hmm. man as long as i look as a woman mm -hmm. and then i feel mm -hmm. like yeah you could say it's a personal choice to transition because you feel like a man and you want your body to be mm -hmm. like a man but on the other hand it's also yeah. a way of i want to fit in society yeah, because what you. i yeah. cannot have this female body yeah, yeah uh, when i feel as a man and yeah. and that's a, that's always the question here right mm -hmm. like how do you help people in this transition mm -hmm. because yeah. as we know not all people need the full transition there are people who just take hormones yeah. and stop there there are different uh, yeah, you can make your own package. Yeah, of, uh, exactly, yeah, exactly. And yeah, that's a little bit the question here. Right? How do we address this? Yeah, I, I have thought about this actually a lot, especially the role of the body mm -hmm. when we think about transgender issues or when we think about transgenderism, that I think we should just listen to the people and give them the choice. and But at the same time, communicate that it's completely fine to do the surgery, to do the sex or the gender reaffirming surgery, but it's also fine to not do it. And yeah. you can also, for example, be a trans man without actually getting top surgery, for yeah. instance. Mm -hmm. And I think what we just have to accept or what we have to normalize is that bodies are not binary. I think we have started to realize more and more that that identity is not binary, that there are non-binary identities and that is okay mm -hmm. <laughs> we don't have to like it's not the end of the world but at the same time bodies are still very much in this yeah. biological understanding mm. of what how we talked about how a woman should look someone like, yeah. has a penis someone has a vagina and that makes them binary yeah and they're okay they're intersex people but that's a different topic but i for instance have started to really understand my body as a trans body regardless of having a penis. For me, my penis doesn't define my gender. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people that is very hard to come to come to terms with because you are always told when you are trans, then you need then your body also needs to, you know, needs needs to parallel your yeah. gender identity. Yeah. And yeah. so then a lot of people develop gender dysphoria through that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah which is yeah. terrible. Which is terrible, yeah. yes. Yeah. And I do I will also want to acknowledge that people genuinely feel gender of dysphoria. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and they should um, have the it's possibility. It's about the subjective experience. We yeah. need to address that. And that's something that should be treated, uh, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we were talking about gender dysphoria and not feeling okay with this discrepancy between how you feel and how your body looks like and, and, and that it it causes distress. And, and, and so then I'm thinking about mental well-being. How is it? What do we know about the mental health of transgender people? Yeah, um, from the, the psychological literature, it's, it's quite clear there's consensus that if you compare it to the cisgender population, so cisgender is, is uh, someone who's not transgender, if you compare it to the cisgender population, then we see indeed uh, elevated rates of, um, yeah, of, of mental health problems. Uh, and this actually gets quite serious. We also see um, there's, there's very disturbing figures about suicide rates or suicide ideation or, or thoughts, uh, attempts and so on. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's something that, uh, that's actually quite clear that uh, this population is not feeling well. Um, now I have to point out that many of these uh, these figures also come from people who are actively um, seeking help mm. right so so mm. how do you find your transgender yeah, so people it's a selection of yeah of, yeah so of... it's already a, a subgroup so so sometimes the figures get really high like one in three thinks of suicide at some point um I, I don't want to minimize. I do absolutely think we should take this seriously, but I also don't want to pathologize too much because huh? there's also just a, like um, Bela already indicated, there's also such a thing as finding community and euphoria and so on. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, in general, we see that, uh, that the picture is not looking too good. Uh, and then it's a bit uh, difficult to, to, to find all the factors that uh, contribute to this, of course, because you, you you can, of course, assign it to gender dysphoria, but then again, the, uh, the environment isn't always yeah, as friendly. And it's also, of course, doesn't have a, a fantastic impact on your mental health. Yeah. 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 And, and do we do you think is, is there a difference between being binary transgender and non-binary transgender when it comes to mental health? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, so far, the little studies that have investigated this, they, they kind of contradict each other. So some say <laughs> it's it's harder uh, for, for the non-binary identifying group and the others say it's, it's harder for the binary identifying groups. Um, I think um, already going to the, the explanatory part, um, they just face different challenges. And I think it also very much depends. Do you ask a non-binary person in the Netherlands or a non-binary mm. person uh, in Ukraine? Yeah, um, obviously. Yeah, then How accepting your Society. Yeah, yeah. So, so it also depends a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah. On the environment. Yeah. And I would like to actually bring in another term here, um, which I think helps to make sense of the mental health and also the violence that trans people um, experience, which is the term gender non-conforming. Yeah. So mm. that means yeah. being visibly yeah, beyond exactly. the binary in public. Yeah. And I think when you look at those when you look at people that are gender non-conforming, which can also just be one day when mm. you, you dress differently, then they face much more yeah. difficulties. And of course, then being confronted with all of that violence also might lead to deteriorating mental health yeah. because then you have this diso dissonance between your self-image and the external projections exactly. that are placed upon you. So of course that makes it very difficult to still believe in yourself and to say like no Obviously. you know I can yeah. I that's me you know I'm beautiful and you yeah, know that has nothing that, to do that, with that me but you yeah. you doubt yourself yeah, and you, and I go through that every time when I am in the public and looking visibly gender nonconforming and I don't get that when I'm not like it's very interesting for me because for a long time I have like I have felt I, I have been non-binary, but then visibly, like in public, still presented quite binary because also with the beard, with my height, a lot of people would think or would read me as a male. Yeah. So just in recent months, I've started to express more feminine in the public or visibly gender non-conforming and that puts people off. You can really yeah, see yeah. that very clearly that people are... Mm. very uncomfortable with the existence of gender non-conforming people which I think is appalling because it has nothing to do with them mm. like no. they can just go around their business not yeah. caring like they don't care about mm. some other cis person on the street but I think there you can it makes yeah so this I think helps this distinction yeah. but could yeah. you could you tell us a little bit what are the, the the comments remarks that you get are people really rude or 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 do they comment publicly on you or I yeah I mean that's a very personal question but I yes definitely I get a lot of remarks comments shouts rarely like physical attempts of assault because I think 
I'm quite like tall, for instance, and people don't really see me as a prey, um, which is a lot of privilege that I have. I know that for mm. other trans people or visibly gender non-conforming people, that is very different. But it is very much it is very much stares and looks and yeah. like whispers behind closed mm. hands and but it's also really like shouting pointing mm. fingers and yeah. very yeah offensive remarks mm. yeah so we can clearly see that it feels that society is still not really ready for um accepting indeed like the the the, the non-binary gender non-conforming appearances but if we think about uh, the, the the challenges and uh, mental health um uh, we are facing here uh, ideas of discrimination uh, transphobia uh, stigma do you do you think is do you see a change in our society because we come from far eh? i mean they're already a lot yeah. of people who are acceptance i also feel like in the younger generation people are more woke more aware of it <laughs> and then do you see a difference between the older generation younger generation that that in, in terms of how how accepting they are i think definitely there's a shift you can clearly see i think there's also studies about this that prove that um, the younger generation or like Generation Z um, has much higher acceptance and tolerance rates of people living outside the gender binary or um, transgender people in general or just queer people in general. And while, of course, there are certain things that are not changing as fast as they should because it's still an institutional practice and these institutions are still controlled by um the older people you yeah. know and usually older white men which don't necessarily have an interest in promoting transgender visibility so i think i think on a societal level yes and i also think society is ready i think the society is ready to to change the way we relate to each other and to um to emphasize on other elements rather than gender to judge on who someone is or who what how worth worthy someone is mm. and to just background gender yeah, as a category you, for social we see hierarchy. Each other, like i said in the beginning we should see each other as human beings and not being like whatever if you're male female binary non-binary shouldn't matter yeah but I, I think it's interesting to see that we do see this shift in society and that people are more aware and more accepting but i sometimes wonder there are so many people shouting out like oh, i'm accepting yeah. i'm accepting but in a way, they still find it strange, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm okay with it, but it's still strange, you know, mm -hmm. and that's a little bit what I... I yeah, I, but then then they need more representation, they need time to to adjust to, to a n new normal. I, mm -hmm. I think this will follow as, as, as the images that they see yeah. and the people that they see will follow. Another another side note that I want to make, like, I, I totally agree, you indeed see also in research, you can you can feel it in society that especially younger generations are, um, uh, are more accepting, a bit more open-minded, um, but yeah a, a lot of this comes because yeah the the uh, the queer community has just done a lot of work the activists um have been very loud but this also really triggers uh, people on the other side mm. so to say and what i for instance see uh, so i'm, I'm 28 I'm, I'm pure millennial and what i see in my own cohort for instance uh if, if i look for instance where, where i grew up in belgium there's also this very um yeah growing group this tendency of conservatives yeah. Uh, ideas mm. like people in their 20s um, who who get more and more vocal like it, it is really yeah. a growing yeah. thing in my opinion uh, about very openly explicitly um, denouncing this whole thing yeah, not accepting not yeah. accepting yeah. saying uh, a man is a man a woman is a woman and uh, this is a hype yeah, exactly. I also and see this counter movement yeah I, I also really feel this idea that I hear a lot it's a hype yeah. Something just everyone wants to be transgender now. Everyone wants to be queer now. How how is it then for the community if people call it just a hype? I mean, it's completely devalidating mm -hmm. and it's very destructive. I think to all mm -hmm. queer and trans people, because if you have if you are in the body or in yeah if you are in the body of a trans or queer person for one day, you will see that yeah. it is not a hype. Like. Who would want to go through all of this discrimination just for fun for mm. like likes on instagram i think no, that's that's very 
far from reality of the experience, mm -hmm. yeah, the subjective exactly. experience of it's any queer and trans person. Actually, it's not really, yeah, it's yeah, really yeah, and and just shouting, it's a hype, it's a hype. It's also a way of putting your hands off of it and not having yeah. to consider your your own attitudes or what we do, like. Even if it were so that in 10 years uh, there would be no transgender people anymore, of course there will be us, so I, I don't consider it a hype. But even if you want to stick to that, then that doesn't mean that today we shouldn't try to yeah. contribute to these people's well-being. If today these experiences are real, then today we have to all work together and be mm -hmm. kind yeah. to one another. Yeah. I also just find it an invalid argument, even yeah. if it were true. Mm. But what I think this shows very interestingly is that social hierarchies are crumbling, mm -hmm. that you see a lot of questioning, that you see a lot of uprisings from population groups that have been marginalized for decades, for mm. centuries. If you see the Black Lives Matter movement, yeah, if you exactly. see the queer movement, if you see the Trans Lives Matter movement, all of these people create voices and or like their voices create change. Yeah. And we can see that because these topics are gaining more attention within our mass media and within our lives, that then people that are on the top of the social hierarchy, that are cis, that are white, mm. that are heterosexual, they are becoming afraid to lose their place. Yeah. Because, of course, that's how privilege works. That's how yeah, oppression yeah, works, course, that yeah. people actively benefit from it. I think it's sometimes misleading when we think, okay, it only affects the people that are discriminated or that are marginalized, that are oppressed. Like they suffer. Yes, that's true. But it's only one side of the story because yeah. other people have are profiting from structural discrimination and have been profiting for centuries. Exactly. So I think people are afraid to yep. to that this social ladder is somehow mm -hmm. falling. Yeah, but we do see it's it's like you say it, it's it's about we see that in all groups of sexual minorities yeah, that there is kind of more this act activism also because obviously yeah you're marginalized you're not accepted you want to sort of uh, speak out exactly. loud like we're here yeah. and that's very okay but there's a risk like Matilda saying that this activism can also backfire in a sense that sometimes we feel like you know it's 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 also a matter of like um not using the right pronouns or there are some examples on television that somebody was called by their dead name and there was like a huge uh drama and i understand this because obviously that's devaluating it's not uh, but not all people are doing this on purpose or intentionally it's often a lack of knowledge not knowing what the sensitivities are not being aware and when then there's a lot of activism from the group then you feel sometimes this 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 reactions like oh they're so tense they're yeah. so tense about everything <laughs> can't i you say know? anything anymore. yeah and yeah, so yeah. and that's how I, I think it's really um so I, I i i really understand and i think it's important because obviously it's like you say when you're you 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 will have to speak louder if you want to be heard that's but it has this 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 it can have a negative effect that some groups are sort of becoming even more non-accepting because of it yeah how was your experience with that i think in in that instance you have to make a difference between intent and effect so mm -hmm. i can i can completely acknowledge that people don't have the intention to be transphobic and they don't have the intention to misgender me and when that happens it happens like i personally don't have a big problem with it because i think it is true that we are indeed all learning and also i'm learning and and we need to relearn. Eh? We that's that's the exactly. biggest issue. Eh? Unlearn, we need to unlearn, relearn. unlearn what we're used to, and yeah. and relearn. Yeah. But at the same time, it does have an effect. You know, even if if it's like well intentioned, misgendering does have an effect, or mm -hmm. transphobia does have an effect on people, and that's like a material effect. So I think in these discussions, these this effect needs to be foregrounded because mm -hmm. it's in the end. Who is affected by this? Someone that feels bad for misgendering someone or someone that's being misgendered every day and yeah, like exactly. 20 times on yeah. every day and and then see like what is the effect of it? Like who is really suffering in this scenario? So I think it is right to call people out for misgendering. And the thing that then people can do is to apologize and to say, I am learning, you know, I didn't mean so and I'm really sorry and I'm going to change, you know, I'm yeah. going to try harder next time. But of course, and of course, again, when we then see like uproars and in the internet and like a more retraditionalization of um, asserting the gender binary and it's asserting more this discourse around, yeah, we cannot say anything anymore. It also, again, shows the privilege that just yeah. 
by saying something and being corrected for it, you already get offended. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. if you think about this change in our society, uh, do you think that for younger people facing these gender dysphoria, questioning their gender identity, that it's easier now to 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 grow up in this society? Because like 30 years ago, it was like terrible. I mean, a lot of people just mm -hmm. had a lot of gender dysphoria, couldn't do anything about it and just stayed in their body, although they felt like uh, completely disconnected. What about if you're like 12 year old and then you hear on television about transgenderism, you think like, okay, this is what it is. I, I feel like a boy and I'm in this female body. What can we do? Do you think it's easier now to, uh, can, can, can they be helped earlier? Um, yeah, especially when, when we're talking about uh, younger ages, so, so younger than 18 and, and even 12 uh, and kids, there like the, the, uh, the healthcare community has, has done a lot of work over the past uh, decennia. So if you 30 years ago, a 12 year old would say, there probably wasn't much that they could do for them. They just had to go to the pu puberty and you know develop into a body that was uncomfortable to them. Um, but today, and actually the Netherlands is kind of the, the, the leading force in this, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Center for uh, Gender uh, in, in Amsterdam, uh, what you basically can do is there's some kind of uh, medication that basically pauses your, your puberty for a while, that puts it on hold, mm -hmm. that basically says to the body, keep it a little longer in, and the moment you, you stop taking the puberty suppression, because that's what it called, it's called then, uh, yeah, then it starts to go in puberty, or you give um, gender-affirming hormone therapy to, to yeah, basically have your puberty. So do you have a little bit more time to figure out like exactly, which gender exactly. do, because that's yeah. always a tricky thing. If you're like a mm. child when do you know yeah when do we, yeah. i mean gender identity it feels like this is especially in that period uh, yeah. between your eighth year it mm -hmm. starts to develop and then it's like okay when do you know this is my gender and is this ever i mean is it stable mm -hmm. is it mm -hmm. really yeah. I, you could also see it as a very dynamic thing you could say absolutely yeah, yeah. I, I felt like a woman for 20 30 years and now i start to doubt whether is this mm -hmm. really and is this something? Uh, how how do we deal with this? Is is this a fluid concept? Yeah, I think it's 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 so individual and. Um yeah, first of all, when, when, when we ask this question of when can a kid know, often it's used in this context of uh, try, you know being against puberty suppression, saying no, a 12-year-old cannot decide that they want to put their puberty on hold, they just have to go through with it. But we don't question this with, with cisgender children, then we yeah. assume that they do know, right? So then we yeah. can assume this for trans or gender non-conforming kids as yeah. well. So that's one thing. Um, and yeah, how, how do we know and whether it will be stable? And this depends so much on the person. I, I I think um, that that we just need uh, good people uh, in, in healthcare and psychologists yeah. to evaluate uh, exactly yeah. because we have to, to know that I mean if you pause your your puberty you also pause your sexual development yeah. and yeah. there's a reason why sexual development is part of, of adolescence because then yeah. you have less prefrontal uh, yeah. inhibition and so you Absolutely. are more explorative and yeah, so yeah, yeah. if you then kind of pause your sexual development and then yeah. how how does it what but, do we know actually also about sexual health and transgender because I can imagine that being feeling in the wrong body and not being okay with your body clearly will have an impact on mm -hmm. how you express yourself sexually. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. In in terms of adolescence and puberty suppression and its effect on, uh, on on sexual development, I don't think there's much literature out there, not at least that I know of. Uh, it's it's a controversy within a controversy, right? You want mm. to investigate trans kids, and within them, you want to investigate sexuality. Yeah, uh, which good, still yeah. is a taboo. Right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Try to find a ground for that. Um, but yeah, the only thing that I think of when, when we are really discussing this is, okay, you can imagine that puberty suppression puts everything on hold in your development, but developing gender dysphoria is also going to throw a shadow over it. Yeah. So it's not necessarily uh, the, exactly. the better option. But then, um, yeah, sexual health and, and um, adult transgender uh, individuals or, or gender non-conforming, um, we know a bit more there. Um, and, and it's good to ask this question because a lot of people will indeed uh, take hormones and, and have... Uh, yeah, it, it clearly surgery. have an impact on exactly. your sexual experiences. And, and, and this yeah. body incongruence, of course, in the bedroom, this is super confrontational. So um, there has been quite some research on this, but most of the re research until now has been very, uh, yeah, still thinking in these two boxes, what happens if you go from box one to box two and has also taken quite a functional approach. As always in sexual yeah, medicine. Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. For instance... Uh, 
if you've had vaginoplasty, how deep can things go? How wet can things get? And so on. Um, which, can, can we insert a penis? Can that's we the most important penis in the new always. vagina. <laughs> that's super important because basically the, they think that's, that's the norm. Because sex penetration. Is about the penis. Exactly. <laughs> it's always about yeah. penetration. That's exactly, the, exactly. the main outcome. But of course, I don't want to devaluate this work because, of course, for, for yeah. surgical evaluation yeah, and so on, clearly. it's good to know uh, whether people are happy with, uh, with its functioning. Um, but we see a trend towards more, uh, yeah, also psychology, psychology oriented uh, research, asking more questions about how do you cope with not feeling well? How do you interact with partners? Um, how how yeah. do you develop your self-esteem? And what mm -hmm. I really, really uh, like in this literature so far is that there's really basically only one paper, um, but there they, they really state that for some individuals, uh, sexuality can be a way to really affirm their gender yeah. and, and to play a role, uh, for yeah. instance, a trans man uh, using a strap on can really feel like, see, now I'm playing the role that, that I yeah. want to, that, that fits me. Yeah. Um, so also with this, I, I really don't think we yeah. should take too pathologizing yeah. of a view. It can no. also be a way to, to yeah, yeah. confirm yeah. yourself. I yeah. would completely agree and I can very much resonate from my own personal experience that if you are in a safe space where you can experiment with your sexuality in a non-cisnormative context, then it can actually be extremely affirming yeah, yeah, that you can really exactly. understand like okay this is my body you can you can create a positive relation towards your body towards your individual body body parts which might be gendered in some way or the other but if you're in this like complete space of safety then you can explore and yeah. you can yeah. work with that you can be appreciative actually of what you have and the different ways of how you can have pleasure which does not have a gender you yeah, know yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. but that's also yeah, within heteronormative sex it's yeah exactly we just need to rewrite the scripts because it also there's so much queer sex possibilities in every sexual relations yeah. and i think just in general everybody profits from it because then you you do develop a more authentic understanding and a more yeah. profound understanding of your body and your sexuality and mm -hmm. you can in the end just feel better and more in sync with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I, what I hear a lot in your story and what I really like is it's also about the context, being in a safe context to yeah. explore and to express yourself yeah. as you want. And we hear that a lot. It's about society. It's about being more accepting and being in a safe context. And how, maybe to round up a little bit, so how can we move how can we change will our society ever be ready and how can we develop to raise more awareness to become a more gender inclusive society what what can we do to create this more safe and accepting context for everyone i think there's many things that we can do mm -hmm. and first of all i want to say i think as i said before i think society is ready and the people that are not ready better get ready because <laughs> it is changing it is coming yeah. like <laughs> let's just face it <laughs> and um i think what we can do is create these safe spaces everywhere and create accessibility. So to have resources for people that are questioning their gender identity as well as questioning their sexual identity, just to have resources to know that it's completely normal and that it's even, that it's accepted in the society and to then also have spaces, have, for example, queer only spaces yeah, exactly. where you can have an exchange with each other, where yeah. you can talk about the things where you can yeah. exchange experiences. But then also there needs to be, in my opinion, very many institutional changes. So yeah. it's on different levels. It's eh? on different levels. And yeah. these institutional changes can be small things such as the Netherlands now saying in the trains, dear passengers, instead yeah. of dear ladies and gentlemen, yeah. where also a lot of people got upset. Yeah, and yeah where... but it is important that these important steps like gender neutral toilets in, in, in several public places, I think. Yeah, yeah, just normalizing the pronouns, having yeah. like an option to um, indicate your pronouns in your email, for instance, yeah. when or at work, in in general, when you discuss with each other, or when you when you when you meet in a new team, just to ask, like, hey, what's your name and what are your pronouns, just to like get yeah. that out of the way and to to just meet yeah. each other in a way where transgender people or gender non-conforming people or non-binary people don't always have these microaggressions yeah. of. Ooh, I'm being misgendered here or yeah. I need yeah. to like actively say it in order to be accepted and then constantly these like 
attention. Yeah. So it's not only about indeed raising awareness, but it's also really on acting on it and changing behavior and changing w the way we approach each other. Yeah. And and I think that's that's one important uh, thing you say, Matilda. Do you have to add something? Do you think what, what are I all, think all I can imagine that there are a lot of suggestions. But uh, what yeah, would you? Yeah. Um, yeah, as as a cis uh, heterosexual person, I would just say listen and read, um, listen to Bela's podcast. Yeah, uh, <laughs> go out there and, and and find all the books and and be very very critical because you'll get you'll feel offended every now and then, like oh you're you're touching on my privilege, and then try to think where where does this feeling come yeah. from? What what am I losing exactly? And when you ask yourself the question, what am I losing? I think we should also all realize what we what we all have to gain from from letting a bit go of this gender yeah, binary. Exactly. Um, it's 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 gonna it benefit freedom. Yeah, actually, it's gonna yeah? benefit it's an, all of yeah, us. Exactly. Exactly. And once you realize that, try to find your little behaviors and, and your reflexes where you're constantly looking for this binary and where you're mm. assuming that people fit it. And and just try to become aware of, of those little reflexes. Yeah. I think that's also a very good thing that you can start doing and be kind to yourself in the process because you'll keep on making mistakes. But over a while you'll get better and get used to it. And yeah, yeah I think yeah. it's really important. I think the main message is indeed to to, to realize how limiting this binary yeah. view exactly. is and exactly. how much more openness and freedom we can create if we are more accepting and, and more yeah. about connecting each other instead of dividing each yeah, other. Right? And this is for everyone. Yeah, I think there's exactly. a lot of the times when we speak about sex education, there is this narrative that it's only for queer people that we own that we need to queer sex education because poor queer people feel offended. But in the end, everyone benefits from less emphasis on the gender binary and yep. also so, certainly we need uh, to have our sex education much more gender inclusive exactly because, because also you know, like also women are suffering from the yeah. role that they're placed into in the gender binary and also men at the same time mm -hmm. like cis men yeah. to think okay you need to be now in the role of like the penetrator and like yeah, exactly. the provider and as you said it can it can be very liberating and it can be very freeing and yeah, you can just expand your horizon in many different ways. Yeah. And no one loses options, right? Yeah. The, the yeah. guy who exactly. really wants to be options. a macho, go ahead. But I, I think mean. we can close you on a very positive note. I want to thank you for this really interesting uh, conversation. Oh, thank you. And uh, as you already said, Matilda, uh, Bella, you have your own podcast. So we will yeah. uh, uh, put the credentials here uh, in, in this podcast as well thank so that you. people can find you. And if they want to hear more, uh, I'm going to listen. Uh, certainly. <laughs> yeah. thank, uh, you. thank you all. Thank you for this conversation. My thank pleasure. you all for listening and I hope you really enjoyed it. See you next time. Bye. <laughs>